friends, welcome to log on at 11 Spurgeon Baptist Church's online presence during this COVID season. We're going to follow what has become our established pattern using a little liturgy to hold everything together. Uh, if you're if you have a print copy in front of you, everything in bold type is what we say together. Everything in light type, I will say on my own. Uh, if you're following on the screen, everything in yellow type is what we say together. So let's begin. In the beginning, before time, before people, before the world began, God was. Here and now, among us, beside us, enlisting the people of the earth for the purposes of heaven, God is. In the future, when we will have turned to dust, and all we know has found its fulfilment, God will be. Let us pray. Loving God, you are faithful, just and forgiving. Help us now to grasp the greatness of your love. Where we have failed to love and loved to hurt, forgive us and heal us. Where we have scorned difference, and have been indifferent to those in need. Forgive us and heal us. Where we have spoken harsh words to others and have been quick to take offence ourselves. Forgive us and heal us. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. At a future church meeting, church members will have the opportunity to vote for the next president of the Baptist Union. That will be the person that follows Jeff Colmer. Jeff Colmer's presidential year will start a little bit later, uh, towards the end of the spring this year. And when he comes to the end of his year this time, next year, uh, there'll be someone to take his place. We've got the chance to vote for who that might be. Uh, all of the candidates have just recorded a very brief video clip and we'll see one each week for the next few weeks until we've exhausted the supply to help us make our minds up. I don't know any of these folk. I've never met them uh, and I only know um, what you know, and I'll only know um, the same as you as we see these things unfold. So let's hear from today's candidate. Hello, Hello. We're, we're Andrew, Andrew and, and Kath, Kath Dodd. Since 1992, we've been in ministry together at Hawkshead Hill Chapel in the heart of the Lake District. Always a small chapel and perhaps never more than 12 adults, we soon realised that this place was to be shared and a prophetic word clarified our vision to be an oasis to all who walk by or call in to visitors and share worship with us. We've moved through three distinct stages. Firstly, enabling the whole family of God of all ages to worship together. 
Then our focus was on the major renovation and development of the buildings, which included the creation of a retreat flat, which we call the Upper Room. And now we were able to focus fully on the implementation of the Oasis vision. Do visit our website to find out more. Chapel ministry has in some ways never been viable, yet God has enabled the work to continue by means of much appreciated home mission support, the generosity of friends, and then mainly through our joint bivocational ministries. Since the completion of the building work, the ministry has expanded. The garden and chapel are now always open, and passers-by speak of a peace and a presence which has led to many profound conversations and some baptisms. We have good relations with the local hill community, and we use the premises for community events. Our worship is flexible and participatory and welcoming to Christians from many traditions. The location is ideal for retreats and we've been developing this ministry. In recent years we've enjoyed being part of the Northwest Baptist Association team and this has given us new opportunities for development and for ministry. Now before coming to Hawkshead Hill we were members of the large Baptist church in Livingston St Anne's. Here we led the worship group as the church journeyed through the early years of the charismatic and vineyard movements. And while we were there, between us we were involved in many different areas of church life, including youth work, Bible study groups, the diaconate, mums and toddlers and pastoral work. We've worked ecumenically for many years. I worked for nine years for churches together in Cumbria as its ecumenical officer and I'm now the president of Churches Together in Cumbria. And I help start a local Churches Together group. I'm a trustee of CETIC and a teaching member of the Cumbria Ecumenical Spirituality Group. We both trained as spiritual directors. All of this has opened us up to the treasures of the wider church. For our vision, we have been drawn to Matthew 11, 28-30, paraphrased by the message as, Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. We'd seek to encourage healthy work-life balance, which brings joy in our relationship with God and with others. We'd want to encourage an openness to the Holy Spirit, which releases living water. And to encourage the embracing of our identity as the children of our Heavenly Father. And that brings gratitude, humility and a lightness of heart, all of which are attractive to others and points them to Jesus. And we would undertake this by means of retreat and teaching days, drawing on social media and all the wonders of IT, with an emphasis on personal contact with leaders and churches, with no situation too small to visit. We would 
hope very much to meet you. And whilst we're from a small chapel context, we hold an expansive vision, inspired and informed by our call and our experience. We've been called to ministry together, and in what may be a unique appointment, together we would want to serve the Baptist family. Bringing all that we can be. And drawing on all that God is. In, in order, order to, to help, help the church, as the bride of Christ, to be all that she can be. He says, walk with me, work with me, watch me, learn all I do. Learn to live freely and lightly, this is my plan. everybody. So today is Valentine's Day and as Kevin continues to look at uh, passages from Genesis later on he'll be considering Jacob's love for Rachel and how God uses that love for his purposes. So that all fits together rather nicely doesn't it? But what do we really know about Valentine's Day and St Valentine? Well much of what we know about St Valentine has been lost to story and legend. It is said he was a priest who went about Rome marrying Christian couples when that sort of thing was frowned upon by the leadership of the time. In the end, he was jailed, but often let out of his cell to debate religious, uh, uh, religious matters with the Emperor Claudius at parties, a strange entertainment for the guests, I suppose. He got into trouble when he tried to convert the Emperor, however who then ordered Valentine to be beaten to death. But when this failed and Valentine survived the beating, uh, Claudius ordered Valentine to be beheaded. Legend also says that there was a guard during his time in prison who asked Valentine to pray for his daughter's blindness. Valentine did, and the girl's sight was restored. Valentine wrote a note to the girl and signed it, can you guess? He signed it from your Valentine. So goes the story. Well, you can take from that what you wish, since there are many versions of the story, and it seems that really no one knows what's true and what's not. It's very much a case of you pay your money and you take your choice, as they say. Let's keep thinking about love for a while, though and see how good your knowledge of love songs is. You knew there'd be a bit of music in here if it was me. Um, from the songs featured in the Billboard Hot 100, a famous kind of league table of songs, there's a list of the top 50 love songs of all time. Um, and they define that by... Um, them being songs with love or a version of the word love in their title. So there's going to be three questions about these songs on this list. And they're going to come up on the screen while some music plays. Have a go at answering the questions. See how you get on. So let's see how you did. 
Here are the answers for you to check. Looking at these answers, do you notice that pop music seems to have reached its most loving time ever, well at least in terms of song titles, in the 1990s? If you're old enough, does that fit in with how you remembered things? Should we be worried that since then love doesn't appear to be as important? Hmm, I wonder. Obviously this is hardly scientific research, but maybe as we go about our daily lives, dealing with Valentine's Day, listening to music, talking to friends and family, or even reading scripture, maybe we would do well to keep in mind Jesus's new or greatest commandments. We find this in Mark chapter 12, verses 30 and 31, where it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the, sec the second command is this, love your neighbour as yourself. There is no commandments greater than these. Have a great day. May God's peace and love be with you in whatever you are doing. Jacob's Children when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Again she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Now at last my husband will become attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. So he was named Levi. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, This time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. When Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. So she said to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. Jacob became angry with her and said, am I in the place of God who has kept you from having children? Then she said, here is Billa, my servant. Sleep with her so that she can bear children for me and I too can build a family through her. So she gave him her servant Billa as a wife. Jacob slept with her and she became pregnant and bore him a son. Then Rachel said, God has vindicated me. He has listened to my plea and given me a son. Because of this, she named him Dan. Rachel's servant Billah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, I have had a great struggle with my sister and I have won. So she named him Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had stopped having children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, What good fortune! So she named him Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, How happy I am! The women will call me happy. So she named him Asher. During wheat harvest, Reuben went out into the fields and found some mandrake plants, which he brought to his mother Leah. Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, Wasn't it enough that you took away my husband? 
Will you take my son's mandrakes too? Very well, Rachel, Rachel said. He can sleep with you tonight in return for your son's mandrakes. So when Jacob came in from the fields that evening, Leah went out to meet him. You must sleep with me, she said. I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he slept with her that night. God listened to Leah and she became pregnant and bore Jacob a fifth son. Then Leah said, God has rewarded me for giving my servant to my husband. So she named him Issachar. Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has presented me with a precious gift. This time my husband will treat me with honour because I've borne him six sons. So she named him Zebulun. Sometime later she gave birth to a daughter and named her Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and enabled her to conceive. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son and said, God has taken away my disgrace. She named him Joseph and said, May the Lord add to me another son. The next episode in the Jacob saga uh, and our reading today concerns the coming generation, the generation that's going to follow after Jacob. Uh, the focus is quite tightly upon Jacob and his two wives and the children that they produce. Uh, we know, don't we, that this is a, a difficult family. I mean, Jacob's family, his mother and father and his brother, um, that little unit, that is a difficult setup. Uh, the parents had favourites between the two boys. Um, the youngest we know, Jacob, the, character, the title character, main character for our story is not a trustworthy man. He's a deceiver and a cheat and a twister. Um, but for whatever reason, God has favoured this one uh, out of the two. He's favoured the younger son and not the older son. So, you know, the first will be last and the last will be first. We begin to see foreshadowings of Jesus and his teaching. We begin to see in the kingdom of God, things aren't as we might anticipate they might be. And this theme of disruption and uh, dislocation and discontent continues as we consider the few verses that we had read to us earlier. You know, there's Still there is intrigue, still there is jealousy, still there is deception, uh, and there's massive heartache on every side. Um, when you you know when your own family background is like that, very often for your own children you want something better, don't you? <laughs> you want your own children to do well. You want them to be brought up in a, an atmosphere of peace and harmony. Uh, well, Jacob's uh, efforts are not going to prove to be any better uh, than his own parents, uh, as it turns out. Anyway, let's let's sort of get into some of the detail. Uh, so he loves. Uh, Rachel and he wants her for a wife and arranges to do seven years labour for his uncle Laban uh, and that's what happens and at the end of the appointed times we saw last week uncle Laban tricks him and he gets Leah first and then he gets Rachel. Um, this is not a good start is it <laughs> really? 
<laughs> but then it's out of his hands. And as we were saying last week, you know, in this instance, he doesn't try and do anything clever or, or try and uh, work his way around. He just accepts the situation for what it is and works with it. And sometimes, as we said last week, that's what you have to do. So Leah, uh, when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he opened up her womb. Poor Leah. She's aware of the fact that she was unwanted. She's an intruder into this little unit. Uh, but God has seen it and God blesses her with children. And again, we see something of God's concern for those who are of no who are of no account, for those who are unloved, for those who are unwanted, for those who maybe feel excluded. And God has a particular concern and blesses with children. And she gives birth to six children. Uh, and of course, we see now the beginning of the foundation of the 12 tribes of Israel. This, this is where they, they all are found uh, to come from, uh, from Jacob, who will become Israel later. And again, we'll come to that uh, in a, week, a few weeks time. So six children. Uh, the first one, Reuben, look, a son. Maybe you'll love me now. I've given you a son. Interestingly, in uh, ancient Near Eastern cultures, and in fact, still in that area, really, today, uh, sons are highly prized. And I wonder why that is sometimes. Um, well, I wonder why that is always, actually. But it is true. Um, Angie did some work with uh, ladies who came from uh, the Indian subcontinent for a while. And they, you know, as she was teaching them and they were talking together, they would, you know, they would talk about family. And when the ladies she was working with discovered that she had two sons, they said to her, oh, God has blessed you indeed, hasn't he? Because she got two sons. So the, interestingly, that still persists in some cultures today, this notion of being blessed by God if you have sons. So when she has her first child, she calls him Reuben. Look, a son. Um, surely you'll love me now. Uh, it's a forlorn hope, though, isn't it? You can't earn love. Uh, it, it's either there or it's not, really. And then she has another son, Simeon, um, which sounds a bit like one who hears. Uh, the Hebrew for one who hears, so oh, God, God has heard my cry, really. Levi, Judah, Judah is, has got a root, uh, a word which suggests praise to God. So it looks as though Leah's understanding of herself is changing as the children are born to, to come to this fourth son, uh, and instead of, you know, looking at her husband and saying, surely you'll love me now. She's now starting to say, praise God, thank God for all that he's given to me. Uh, and then after Judah, she stops having children for a while. 
What about the other sister? What about the sister who is loved? Well, God prevents her from having children. And how does she respond? She's jealous. She's massively, massively jealous. Poor Rachel. Poor Leah. Poor Rachel. Beautiful, attractive, yet barren, unable to conceive. And we've seen this before in this, the story of this family, haven't we? I mean, from the very beginning with Abraham and Sarah, uh, unable to have children, way, way past the age of childbearing. And yet God says to them, you will have a son. In fact, you will have many, many descendants, more numerous than the stars in the sky. And that's the genesis of that promise. These two, this old couple. And then with Isaac and Rebecca, Isaac, the child of the promise, marries Rebecca, barren. Oh, and then Rebecca has these two children fighting in the womb, Esau and Jacob. Uh, and we heard the promise restated. Uh, and we heard the prophecy while the children were in the womb. The older will serve the younger. Two nations are in your womb. And now with Rachel and Jacob, barren. She turns on him in her frustration and her jealousy. Give me children. Come on. Well, actually, we know, don't we? I mean, just if we were to take God out of the equation altogether, uh, we know that the issue is not with Jacob because Jacob has got Leah pregnant several times. So the issue is not with Jacob. The issue is with poor Rachel. Although it isn't <laughs> because you need to factor in what God is doing here. And it's quite hard to fathom. She's very jealous. Uh, and I wonder how much her natural beauty uh, is cancelled out by this jealousy. I wonder if, you know, what is coming out of her in terms of the words that she is speaking, you know, is giving pause for thought to those around her. She looks so pretty. She looks so beautiful. She looks like butter won't melt in her mouth. But listen to what she's saying. She's so hard on her sister. She's so hard on her husband. Beautiful on the outside, but bitter and angry and jealous on the inside. Someone like that. Well, initially we would be attracted, wouldn't we? But the more we heard them speak, the less we'd want to do with them. Rachel is jealous of her sister and angry with her husband. And it is spoiling things within the family home. Jacob quite rightly puts his finger on the issue. He says, it's not me you should be angry with, but God. And he's right. For the moment, God is preventing Rachel from having children. We don't know why that is. But it is his activity and his moving of the pieces on the board, as it were, that is causing the difficulty. Uh, not the man, not the woman. For the moment, God is withholding the gift of children 
from Rachel. So what are we going to do then? Well, we'll do what we did in previous generations. We'll resort to surrogacy. I've got a maidservant. Um, sleep with her. Have sex with her. Um, let's, you know, let's build a family through her. She's my maidservant. So if she has children, they're mine. That's the way it was. Um, we saw it with Sarah offering Hagar to Abraham. Uh, and he did what he was asked to do. Uh, fathered Ishmael, not the child of the promise. Interestingly, you know, the children that the maidservant will have will count as part of the founding of the 12 tribes of Israel. So they're not excluded like uh, Ishmael was. They'll be included, but it's not quite right. Uh, and everybody knows that. Rachel's motivation is jealousy and anger. Um, <clears throat> she fears that she'll lose her husband's respect and maybe his love and certainly the respect of all of her household. So Rachel's maid, Bilhar, is given that Rachel might build a family through her common practice. We've seen it, as we were saying, two generations back in the same family uh, with Hagar being given by Sarah to Abraham. It didn't work then and it's not really the answer here and now. Although Bilhar does produce children by Jacob. Um, of course, at this time, we already said Leah has stopped having children. Uh, but so that she doesn't get left out uh, of the race, as it were, well, you know, here's Zilpah, my maid, sleep with her, continue to have children uh, with her, as it were, through me. You know, so I still have uh, stuff going on. And she bears children as well. This thing just escalates, doesn't it? Uh, we just need to be aware, and Jacob needs to be aware uh, and put a stop to it. The in the solving of one problem, further problems have emerged. And it's not a, it's not a happy family. Uh, it's not a good place to be. And the jealousy and the bitterness are only too plain and only too obvious between the two sisters. As you read the story, the narrator quite skillfully uh, shows that to us. This is not a family, a happy family situation. Argument, dissension. These are the order of the day, aren't they? This bitter wrangling on the part of everybody in, in the everyday life of Jacob's family. And you sort of think to yourself, well, could God really be in this? And the answer is yes, actually, he can. Uh, and he is. Leah bears further children. And then God remembers Rachel. It's not really that he's ever forgotten her. But now he gives her his full attention. She becomes the focus of his activity now. He turns his full attention towards her now. After all of the other things have happened and all of the other options have been exhausted, after all of her schemes to build a family through her maid have happened. And she is 
besieging God with prayer all throughout her time uh, with her husband. She is battering, you know, at the doors of heaven with prayer. It's the most important thing in the world to her that she has a child. Uh, and I suspect only those who have struggled to have children will properly understand this. And I feel for you. And we'll pray for you and continue to pray for you that God will hear your prayer and that everything that can be done will be done to help and assist you. It is the most important thing in the world for Rachel. Uh, she will be forever calling on God's name to remove the disgrace of childlessness from her. And now, now God does it. All of her efforts have come to naught. The surrogate children were not really the solution. But here is her own son, Joseph. And she'll have one more too, Benjamin. And that's foreshadowed in the little reading that we had earlier. Maybe I'll have another one. Yes, you will. And Joseph and Benjamin will be the two that Jacob loves the most because they're hers. And of course, Joseph. Joseph is going to become the saviour of his family. The youngest but one. <laughs> the dreamer. You know, he has the dream about sheaves bowing down and, the, you know, the, the other part of the dream. Uh, and indicative of brothers and father bowing down to him. And the jealousy and the discord <laughs> that that causes. Another mark in the life and times of this family. Family of promise. Gosh, isn't it interesting to think about these things, just to reflect on them. God has brought about his purpose with the coming of Joseph. Joseph is going to be the saviour of his family when he becomes governor of Egypt. God has chosen. The divine will cannot be engineered. Um, so wh whatever uh, spiritual practices you or I might engage in. We need to understand, you know, whether we pray or fast or worship or, or whatever. The point of all of that is not for us to get God to do something that we want him to do. <laughs> the point of it is to bring our will into line with his plan. Uh, it is for us to submit ourselves to him. So when we when we do pray and fast, as uh, I hope we will uh, in a little while, it is not about us saying, uh, God, this is what I want. Please do it for me. It is about us coming and saying, look, here we are, wholly available to you. Please show us what you want us to be doing. Please show us where you want us to put our energies. Please show us a little bit of your plan for the next however long. God chooses. The divine will cannot be engineered by human activity. God alone brings it about. 
And I want you to notice what we've been saying all the way through this series. This is such unpromising material. Um, if I were choosing, if you were choosing, you would have chosen better people than this. They are just rubbish, aren't they? They can't agree together. They can't live in harmony together. They can't demonstrate any of the positive qualities that we would look for in a people of God. It's just not there. And yet, God has chosen to use just such people to fulfil his purpose. I don't know what you think about yourself. You might think that you're very unpromising. Doesn't matter. God has chosen. And one of the things that is quite clear as you read the Bible is that God very often chooses what looks to be unpromising material at the very beginning and does something extraordinary. And he does it like that so that everybody that sees what is happening knows that it's God because it couldn't be them. They're rubbish. Actually, in the eyes of God, nobody is rubbish. You certainly are not. I am not. Together, with one another and with God, the sky's the limit. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for all of your gifts towards us, your, your great love for us, especially on this day, Valentine's Day, the day for lovers. Uh, we thank you for your great love for us and for the way in which you've expressed that, for sending your son uh, to teach us, to be an example for us, to die for us and to rise again, to give us hope for the future and how we need hope in these days. We confess, Lord, that we find it hard just to live some days right now. Most of uh, our, well, all of our regular everyday interaction has been taken away. Much of what we took for granted uh, a year ago has all gone. We have to be mindful of keeping our distance, hand washing, uh, covering our faces uh, whenever we're in public. We find this whole exercise wearing now. It was novel to begin with and unusual and slightly entertaining, but now it is just drudge and difficulty. We pray that you will encourage us, Lord, somehow in this day. We pray for all of our friends who work in schools or who attend schools. Pray for our educators. Thank you, Lord, for the work that they have continued to do throughout the pandemic, for the many new things that they've had to learn to do, uh, teaching remotely, uh, not the least of them. We thank you for their continued dedication and enthusiasm. 
We pray for the safety of those who are in school every day because there are children there to be taught. We pray that you'll keep them safe, both staff and pupils. We pray for our young people as they look at an uncertain future. Uh, we pray that they might not be hampered unduly by what is happening currently. Uh, if there is any lack in their education, Lord, we pray that at some point they'll be able to make that up. We also pray, Lord, that they would not believe that their future is gone because of what is happening now. We pray that you would remind them that they are loved, that they are valued, that they have immense potential and that that potential can and will be realised at some point, maybe tomorrow, maybe the day after, maybe a little longer in the future, but at some point it will be realised. We pray for our children and for our teachers, Lord. We pray that they might sense our great love uh, for them on this day, Valentine's Day. We pray for our friends and ask that they might sense our love for them and your love for them. Chris Bell, Ken, Adrian and Hugh, Eric, Les, Dot, Margaret and Bob, Peter, Jesse, Dennis and Shirley, Mary, Jay, Terry, Naomi, Thelma, Nigel, Lynn, Graham, Lauren and Lewis, Ron, Gail, Andy and Judith. Draw near to our friends, Lord, and be all that they need in these days. We gather up our prayers together as we say the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. We say the canticle together. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now go forth into the world in peace. Be of good courage. Hold fast to that which is good. Render to no one evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. 
support the weak, help the afflicted, honour all people, love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, rest upon you and remain with you always. Amen. Amen.